Well, isn't it amazing when we come together and clearly God is doing something amongst us, that there's a, a theme in, in the, the things that have been shared this morning. And, and I'm really excited because so many of the things that God has been speaking to us about this morning through various contributions are exactly the kind of things that God has been preparing in my heart to share with you this morning. So uh, I hope you see those links as we, as we work through the Word this morning. So uh, I just want to be, be still before God for a minute and just in awe of how wonderful He is and the fact that He's been speaking to us already. So we, Father, we thank You for Your goodness. Father, we thank You for the love that You've shown us in Jesus Christ. And we thank You, Father, for the gift of Your Holy Spirit through whom you've already been speaking to us this morning. Keep speaking, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, yep, good morning, everybody. It's uh, really great for Deb and I to be back amongst uh, our Wimborne brothers and sisters. And if you're uh, looking around, I can't see anyone particularly new. But if you are new uh, this morning or visiting, then we're so thrilled you're with us. So yeah, I'm Mark, I'm married to the wonderful Deb, uh, and I work in Falling Bridge and in Downton as a dispensing optician, and I'm also one of the elders that have been entrusted with oversight of New Life Community Church, as she meets currently in four locations. And wasn't it wonderful last week to, uh, to meet all together, all the congregations together, our first one church Sunday of the year, and I'm still recovering, if I'm honest, from the party afterwards, where I did a little bit more running than was probably sensible for a man of my age, whose body is no longer the same age as his mind is. But anyway, it was good to come together last week and hear from Paul, who leads the eldership team, as he posed the question, where do we go from here? And if you've not yet listened to that message, can I encourage you to get online and give that a listen? Paul spoke out of Acts chapter 2 and verses 42 through 44. And he called the church to a year of devotion. And Paul noted that the early church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to breaking bread in remembrance of Jesus. And they were devoted to prayer. So let's just consider that word devoted just for a minute. It's a really strong word. And in the original Greek, the text suggests something like earnestness, perseverance, courage, diligence. So that's something to be pressed into, even when the going gets hard. To be devoted to something means all these things. It means courage in the face of adversity. It means being intensely authentic and sincere. And it means pressing on carefully, but with persistence. And we as a church, we've been called to a year of giving ourselves to this. And we believe that our vision to see lives transformed by the love and power of Jesus to see communities of believers pioneered and established, and to see love and support provided to those in our communities who need it most, we believe our vision will be served well if we as a body really press into this year of devotion. 
And as we give ourselves this year of devotion, we do so trusting that our Heavenly Father will add to us numerically and help us grow spiritually. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be building on the foundation that Paul has laid. We're going to stay in Acts chapter 2, and we're going to be asking the question, what might a year of devotion look like for us? So let's turn to the Scriptures. If you've got a Bible with you, can I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts? We're in chapter 2, and I'm going to hang today's message on verses 45 and 46. But I'm actually going to start reading from verse 38, because I think it will help us with the context. Now, I'm reading from the New International Version. If you've got a different translation, it might read slightly differently. But let's read together from Acts chapter 2 and from verse 38. Peter replied, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And I'm going to stop there for now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's bread and it's food and it's life for us. So, so give me the words to speak and give us ears to hear and hearts and minds to understand and put into practice what it is you want to say to us this morning. We ask that for Jesus' sake, for the sake of our communities. Amen. So I guess the first question we need to ask about our passage is, who were the they that referred to in verses 42, 45, and 46? Or in other words, who was it? Who was it that gave themselves devotedly to the teaching, to the fellowship, and so on? Well, the author, who happens to be the gospel writer Luke, that's the Luke of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's already told us who they were. You see that in verse 41. They were those who accepted Peter's message. So let's do a a, a really, really quick recap of the events of Pentecost. The believers, which Luke tells us in chapter 1 and verse 15 numbered about 120. And these believers were gathered together. The Holy Spirit comes on them in great power, and they start speaking in tongues. And a crowd is gathered from all over, and Peter stands up with the apostles, and he preaches to this crowd. And many in the crowd are so convicted by the Holy Spirit speaking through Peter that they turn to, they turn to Jesus. They get baptized, and they're added into the church. And that was about 3,000 people. I mean, wow, 
That's, that's some kind of gospel explosion, right? The church in one day grows from about 120 to about 3,120. And that's some sermon that Peter delivers, don't you agree? And these 3,000, they get baptized and they get added in. And they devote themselves to the culture and to the community of the church. And there's a reason I think this is significant. It suggests to me this type of devotion that we're being called to. This type of devotion is part of the normal Christian life. It's not just for the apostles. It's not just for the inner circle, if you like. It's for every believer. And the 3,000 that Luke counts, he's just counting those who are baptized. I mean, no doubt there were others that heard that message. Maybe some rejected the message out of hand. Maybe some others kind of agreed with Peter. But Luke counts only those who accept the message and get baptized. Presumably because they've done as Peter has urged, and they've repented, they've received forgiveness of their sins in the name of Jesus. And I, I just want to say right now that I think that God has deposited, some, deposited something prophetically as I prepared this message. It kind of felt like he dropped this phrase into my mind. And that phrase was fully immersed. And maybe God is wanting some of us to hear that this morning. So these 3,000 have been fully immersed into baptism and now they were being fully immersed into the community and the culture of the church. And the results of their devotion, their total immersion, if you like, are recorded for us to see. And I think it's a provocation for us and a model to us of what devotion to Jesus, devotion to his kingdom might look like for us. Luke will go on to write that the Lord added numerically to the church on a daily basis. And we're going to look at that in another message. But I think the, these verses, the verses we're hanging on today, got much to teach us about the kind of fruit that full immersion into the culture and community of the church might produce in us. So that's what we're going to lean into today. Now, I know that there are those amongst you that like nice, tidy, three-point sermons... And so if you fall into that camp, you're going to be really happy. Because I see three cultural aspects in this passage that I want to draw out. Here's the first one. I see a culture of caring. These guys, they cared for one another so much. So much that those who had plenty sold property and possessions. So that, so that they could give to those amongst them in need. It seems then that the old adage, caring is sharing, really is true. Caring really is sharing. These guys, they excelled at generosity. They excelled at caring for one another. Listen to what Luke writes in chapter 4 and from verse 32 following, because the language he uses is, is remarkably similar. All the believers. And again, note that Luke writes all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything that they had. 
With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy people amongst them. But from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. I mean, that's radical, isn't it? That's a million miles from a mindset that says every man for himself. These early believers, they model a, a valuing of their brothers and sisters over property and possessions. That's what they value. Not property and possessions. They valued each other, their brothers and sisters. The, the church, their community meant more to them than anything else. So it's radical. And it's costly. But this type of radical and costly caring sends an important message to a world that needs Jesus. As the Apostle John writes in chapter 12 of his gospel, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And also in his first letter, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us lo not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. So part of the normal Christian life, it seems, is love expressed through action. And it's through this type of love, this caring through sharing, that the world will identify us as followers of Jesus Christ. And the next thing I see is a culture of gathering. These early believers clearly valued their brothers and sisters highly. And they valued meeting together. I see that in the fact that the passage tells us that it was a daily affair. Every day, they continue to meet together. And I hear a similar encouragement to value meeting together in these words from the writer to the Hebrews. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So in our verses, Luke appears to allude to two different types of meeting, which I'm going to call the big meeting and the small meeting. I imagine that doesn't need a huge amount of explanation. And the suggestion is that there are times when we gather in large numbers, and there are times when few of us gather together. So there'll be times when we gather socially, sometimes just a few of us, sometimes in greater numbers, and there is value in those, especially because our passage talks about how part of how we relate to one another is by sharing meals with one another. But I especially feel led to press the big and small meetings as being our Sunday morning meetings and meetings like that, but also our life groups and study, other study groups that might take place. And I want to press that 
because I passionately feel that both are important. I think it's interesting that the Holy Spirit has already spoken to us about this today. And I believe the Holy Spirit is present in both the big and the small meetings. And he's at work in both, but maybe the way he works is kind of different depending on the context. And if you were to press me on this, I'd probably go so far as to say that the Sunday meeting, the big meeting, if you like, that's more about equipping us and strengthening us for the rest of the week, the week that's going to follow, so that we can better represent Jesus well to a people that by and large don't know him. But the small meeting, that's where I believe, is where we can best care for one another and sharpen one another, like it says in Proverbs 27 and verse 17. This spurring on of one another towards love and good deeds this encouraging one another that the writer to the Hebrews speaks of, I passionately believe that it's in the context of our small groups that this happens best. So I really want to sound the gong for our life groups. I want to join Iona in that and encourage you, if you consider yourself to be part of this church and you're not connected into a life group, get connected. Maybe you're worried that you can't make every week. Can I encourage you not to let that be a stumbling block? Because maybe you're at a stage in your life where you can't even see yourself committing to every other week. Again, I'd say, that's fine. There's grace. We're people of grace, aren't we? So don't worry about that. See, most life groups have at least a WhatsApp group or something similar. At the very least, I would encourage you to get connected into a, a WhatsApp group. Make whatever meetings you can make. Even if you can't make it every other week or every week, make what you can. Because if you do that, then there are two things that I'm confident of. Firstly, that you will benefit from the love and the care and the support and the strengthening, the sharpening of your brothers and sisters. And if you are able to spend any amount of time with them, even if it's only once a month, that's going to help you grow into spiritual maturity that we have been speaking about in our passage. But secondly, I am confident that you will be a blessing to them, even if you can only make it once in a while. They will love you, and they will love seeing you, and they will love spending time with you, and they will benefit from it, even if it isn't as frequently as others. And who knows? God might miraculously change your schedule so that you are able to make more meetings than you thought that you might. But for now, can I encourage you, if you are not connected into a life group, get connected. Speak to me afterwards or get in touch with Dale, who currently oversees the life groups. So that's two cultural aspects. A culture of caring, a culture of gathering. And the final cultural aspect that I see in our verses is a culture of authentic joy. Authentic joy. And I see that in the phrase, with glad and sincere hearts. I believe this ought to be our default position. 
This ought to be our default mindset, our default perspective. Glad and sincere. Now, I, I don't know what your church background is. Some of you may be new to church altogether. Some of you might have been in church for a long time. But there's a, there's a chorus that we used to sing in our old church, Deb and I. Now, you might think it's a little bit cheesy, and maybe it is. It is cheesy. But I do love the sentiment. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I can't do that bit. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Yeah, it's cheesy, but it's great, isn't it? See, there's this sense that we delight in God. We delight in him because of our gratitude for what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. And it goes hand in hand with the encouragement in our passage that part of our devotion is worked out through the breaking of bread. Luke is, of course, writing about taking what we call the Lord's Supper, where we remember everything that Jesus accomplished at the cross. Because at the cross, Jesus, the one who is without sin, bore in his own body the punishment for our sins, and he crucified them. And as we take the bread, we remember his body given for us and for our salvation. Our gladness, our gladness is a response of gratitude for his sacrifice on our behalf. As we drink the wine, we remember the blood of Jesus which washes us clean. And we remember that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And we delight in the fact that Jesus was raised from death into eternal life, that he was victorious over sin and death. And when we take the Lord's Supper, we remember and we, what he's done, and we look forward. We look back at what he has done. But we also look forward to his wonderful promise that all who believe in him will be raised, just as he was raised to eternal life. Brothers and sisters, would you not agree? We have very much to be glad about. Our hearts are to be glad, but they are also to be sincere, or in other words, authentic. We want our faith to be authentic. So can I encourage you, be real with God. Like Jill's already encouraged us this morning. Be real with God and be real with one another. Again, I think this is a lot easier in the safe environment of our small groups, where we can cover where we can protect one another, as, even as we care for one another. And it's just another reason I feel so passionately about them. So to coin a phrase from Paul's message last Sunday, where do we go from here? Well, I trust that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you this morning, even as I've been speaking or as others have shared. And maybe there are things that the Holy Spirit's been saying to you that I've barely touched on or not even touched on, 
I'd love to hear that. I'd love to hear what the Holy Spirit is, is, uh, has been saying to you, and I can stand with you in that. And maybe you're here this morning, or you're listening to a recording of this message, and you wouldn't count yourself a Christian. But you are interested in knowing more about this God who can rescue people from their sins. Can I encourage you to either speak to me or the person that brought you this morning, or if you're listening to a recording, to contact us through whichever medium you came across this message. But there are two things that I just felt God would want me to share with you by way of outworking from these verses. And these two things, they're both rooted in this phrase, fully immersed. So first thing, let me ask you the question. Have you been baptized? There are two things that Scripture specifically asks us to do as believers, which some parts of the church call ordinances. The first one is repent and be baptized. Second one is do this in remembrance of me which, of course, refers to the Lord's Supper. And, and both of these things we've touched on this morning. So have you been baptized? And I'm talking about full immersion baptism, which is not the same thing as christening. Now, hear me clearly. I'm not necessarily knocking Christ, uh, christenings. But in general, that's more to do with the promise of parents and godparents to raise a child in the Christian faith. Baptism is slightly different. It's an outward demonstration of an inward change that has taken place. And it's a wonderful picture of dying to sin and being raised to everlasting life. So if you believe in Jesus, but you've never gone through the waters of baptism, and you're feeling the Holy Spirit convicting this morning, thinking, yeah, I think I want to do that. I just want to remind you that our next One Church Sunday, which takes place on Easter Sunday, which I prefer to call Resurrection Sunday, it's just me. And as part of that service, we're going to have baptisms. I mean, what a better time, what better time to get baptized than on Easter Sunday. So we're going to be baptizing that day. And if you've, you've never been uh, baptized, uh, it would be an amazing time to do that. So if the Holy Spirit is so stirring you, why don't you come and speak to me afterwards and we can get things in motion for that. So what about the rest of us? I guess the question I would ask is, are you fully immersed into the vision and into the culture of New Life Community Church? Or to put it another way, are you all in? I mean, all in. I, I, I know, I know, this question is just as much as it for me as it is for anyone else. My dear, dear friend and mentor, gone to be with the Lord now used to say that for every finger pointing out, there are three more pointing back. So are we? I mean, that's you and I. Are we intentionally looking for ways to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters? Are we intentional about that? This could be financially, but not necessarily. But I do believe it's costly. And it might be costly in terms of time rather than resources. But we are encouraged by the Apostle Paul to be living sacrifices. That's what he says authentic worship looks like. Authentic worship looks like a people that live sacrificially. 
So let's get intentional about that if we're not already doing that. And, and finally, I'm going to join Iona in banging the gong one final time for our small groups. As an eldership, we are so grateful, so grateful for those that lead the groups or have done so in the past. If that's you, if you, if you are either a, a group leader now or have been and have served in that capacity, thank you. Thank you so much for your glad and sincere hearts. Thank you so much for being living sacrifices. And if you are not connected to a group, would you consider getting connected? So can I ask the musicians to come back? I'm going to pray. We're going to respond together. Now, there are things that I've touched on there. If you, if you want to respond to any of those things, then, that's, then I'd love to pray with you. Please come forward if, if that's you. We're not closing this, the service just yet, so there's still plenty of room for God to speak. But for now, shall we stand if you're able? <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that through him we can approach your throne of grace with confidence. And it's only through him, it's only through his wonderful sacrifice and his glorious resurrection and the fact that he is now <coughs> seated at your right hand interceding for us. Wow, Father, that's so amazing that Jesus is praying for us. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit poured out according to your promise. Holy Spirit, we say thank you that you are here with us. And thank you, God, that you never leave us nor forsake us. And that your Spirit is always with us, testifying that we are your children. Holy Spirit, help us, we pray. For any that are seeking the God that rescue, rescues sinners, whether it be in this building or whether it be anyone listening to this message. Father, I thank you that your heart is that none should perish. And I pray that you would reveal yourself to any, any who are seeking you, according to your promise, through Jesus Christ. <laughs> Father, for any, anyone who's considering baptism, Lord, thank you that there is grace for them. Thank you that there is mercy for them. Holy Spirit, help them. Encourage them. Bless them. And for the rest of us, help us to be intentional in looking for ways to be a blessing. First to our brothers and sisters. And then as the, as the world sees how we love one another, Father, help us to be a blessing to all that we come into contact with. Thank you for our small groups, Lord. We pray that we might sharpen one another and help one another on towards maturity. Strengthen us, we pray that we might be effective in leading others to know the love that we have come to know because of your grace and mercy towards us. 
In Jesus' precious name. Amen.